0: Hello and welcome to Accented Women, a show buying about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. Israel has once again escalated its attacks against the Palestinians, provoked by the right-wing Zionist settler movement that wants the government to take control of Jerusalem's Al-Aqsa Mosque compound and allow Jewish prayers on the entire site. In an inflammatory but calculated move, Prime Minister Netanyahu laid the blame for Hitler's final solution on the Palestinian national leadership. Speaking at the 37th World Zionist Congress in Jerusalem, he said that the extermination, including the gas chambers, of six million European Jews was not Hitler's idea but that of Jerusalem's Grand Mufti. It's hard to believe that a future is possible in Palestine. In fact, many are predicting a third intifada. And yet, as Jerusalem burns, it seems there is the zygote of a progressive Jewish movement emerging in Israel. While a Jewish perspective on the occupation of Israel on Palestine is not a common view broadcast on Accent of Women, this week I've decided to give this issue some airtime. I spoke with Jewish activist Sahar Vardi. She's based in Israel and is an organiser in a campaign to end Israeli occupation of Palestine.
1: I definitely think that the violence that we've been seeing in the last few weeks is more intense um, than we're used to and it's definitely come to a peak that hasn't been uh, at this stage for quite some time. Um, And it's always hard to say what actually does constitute the start of an intifada and you never know how long these kind of um, waves of resistance and and of violence continue for. Um, So it's hard to kind of predict at this point. It's definitely worse than it is usually. Um, That said, I think it's important to say kind of people use a lot this term of, you know, the the wave of violence is happening now and so on. Um, It is intensified right now, but violence hasn't stopped and doesn't stop on a regular basis. And I mean, right now, if you look at East Jerusalem, Yes, it is true that today there are blocks in neighborhoods of East Jerusalem. Uh, There are nights arrests more than there are usually, but there are also night arrests any other week in the past year. Um, And so, like, these kind of more structural violence continues throughout um, the last decades. And that isn't something that is, I mean, it's a little bit worse now, but just important to
0: remember it's not that
1: the violence is new.
0: Why is it worse now?
1: there's a lot of questions of how exactly things started, uh, like a lot of things, and I guess like the previous Intifada as well, um, the kind of peak of violence started around uh, Elaksa Mosque, or the the Temple Mount, uh, as it's called in Hebrew, um, and around tensions around Israeli settlers wanting to go up to um, the mosque, and Palestinians closing themselves in trying to... um, as far as they consent concerned, protect the mosque, not allow that to happen, and Israeli police deciding, as a result of that, to enter the, the mosque, um, among other things, and kind of take it over, and these kind of things are very symbolic. I mean, I, I don't think that it's about specifically those actions, um, but it is, it, it creates kind of a situation where people, or uh, the emotions and frustrations that they already do have, um, is exaggerated. Well,
0: On Monday you wrote, about the eviction of a Palestinian family um, from an area in Silwan. Um, Tell me a little bit about that and why that particular um, eviction was worth commenting on.
1: What happened to the Abu Nab families in Silwan in the neighborhood of Batnul Hawa is something that happened in other places in East Jerusalem. The house that they live in is claimed to have been uh, owned by Jews prior to 1948 Um, And according to that, Israeli courts have with time given settler organizations the ownership of that house and they're being evicted as part of that. This is something that happened in other neighborhoods of East Jerusalem as well. Um, One of the kind of amazing things about understanding how that law works is that that is a law that works only for Jews and doesn't work for Palestinians because many Palestinians have ownership rights on areas inside Israel prior to 1948, which they can't reclaim according to Israeli law, but apparently Jews can reclaim ownership rights uh, pre-1948 in East Jerusalem and evict people from their houses. So that's kind of the legal background. That's something that we're used to seeing, unfortunately. Um, The thing is that specifically in East Jerusalem, since 2009, we haven't had an eviction of this kind, where a Palestinian family is taken out and a Jewish family is moved in the middle of a Palestinian neighborhood. We haven't had that specific case in quite some years now, uh, mostly because of the huge protests against the last eviction that happened like this in Sheikh Jarrah, including international communities speaking against it and things of the sort. Um, it's very controversial, this idea of just bringing Jews into a Palestinian neighborhood, kicking people out, um, according to this law that is very discriminatory, and also. It means for the community itself where this is happening, the neighborhood, it completely changes it. I mean, you you have more security, you have more police in it, you have daily clashes in it. Um, So people understand how problematic this is and we haven't had such an eviction in six years now. Um, And so the fact that they not only decided to go ahead with this eviction, but more than that, to do it right now when the city is burning anyway, um, when there are daily clashes anyway, is something that I really am. I mean, I'm, I'm shocked. I really did not, did not think that anyone in, in the Israeli government um, is really just, I don't know if cruel or dumb is the right word here, um, to decide to do this eviction right now when things are already so escalated. When at least the official statements of the Israeli government is that they aim to de escalate, well, that's not exactly how you de escalate the situation.
0: I want to talk a little bit about the propaganda that comes out of the Israeli government and the way um, the Israelis relate to it. So one of the things that you were just saying was, for instance, your the what the government is saying is inconsistent with what they're doing. And certainly, uh, being as far away as we are here in Australia observing that, we can quite easily say that more than likely the rhetoric that is coming out of the Israeli government bears no relationship to what they're doing on the ground. And in fact, it is nothing but propaganda. It is in fact a direct lie in order to uh, protect the Israeli government from its attempts at genocide and exterminating the Palestinians. Many on the far left would probably say that. What do you say as a left-wing Israeli watching and observing your government do this?
1: I think, I mean, Israeli politicians have a whole spectrum of what kind of propaganda is used. And I think that Netanyahu last night probably um, managed to pass the spectrum of what we thought is possible as far as incitement uh, in propaganda. I don't know if um, people have heard this yet, but yesterday uh, Netanyahu in the World Zionist Congress uh, organization that their Congress, he gave a speech in which he said that the idea for the extermination of Jews in the Second World War was given to Hitler by uh, the Mufti. Um, And so in a way, blaming Arabs for the Holocaust, actually saying it wasn't even Hitler's idea, which is really a level of incitement and propaganda that we haven't heard before. And kind of exceeds all expectations. But even if we're not talking about these extreme cases, um, the rhetoric within Israeli society, especially to Israeli media and to Israeli audiences, um, is one that actually doesn't try to hide as much of the reality as the rhetoric to the international community, which is obviously, you know, usually very mild. Towards Israeli society, the rhetoric is we have to be tough against terror. And being tough against terror means also, yes, closing down Palestinian neighborhoods. And it's important to actually understand this because what happens right now is that the Israeli political system is at a stage where Israeli politicians have a political interest to actually say they're doing things that are much worse than what they are doing. Um, For instance, demanding complete closure on East Jerusalem neighborhoods, um, complete curfew. Now, these are things that even right-wing politicians know that is not going to happen, They're not, there's not going to be a complete curfew over East Jerusalem. But politicians have a political interest to say that in order to be presented as the most tough against terror, kind of the most strong um, person around, and so it's interesting to see how different the discourse towards Israelis is, and the discourse internationally, which is all around, you know, it's just about security, just trying to minimize uh, the security threat towards Israelis. Which I mean, obviously, I don't think it's not important. I do want to recognise also, as Israelis, right now in these kind of periods, yes, we do live in fear. I do, you know, I work in East Jerusalem. Yes, I am more afraid when I do that. There are incidents of of attacks, obviously. I'm not um, saying they're not all trying to minimise that effect. But what is not talked about is what does it mean to live under threat and terror as a Palestinian on a daily basis, not only in the last week or two where Palestinians are terrified um, but also in the past few years and you know work a lot with um, child detention and things of the sort children get arrested 14 12 even nine-year-old kids get arrested in Jerusalem on a weekly basis regardless of what's happening in the city and what we kind of feel is, is fear that is fear you know living with that threat is constant fear that Palestinians have to live under.
0: You're a part of a movement of Israelis that are opposing Israel's occupation of Palestine. Tell me a little bit about that. What what is happening amongst the left in Israel? The
1: left in Israel today, I think, is much smaller than it was um, in the past. I mean, if you look at the '90s and kind of the peace decade, um, we see protests of you know 400,000 people coming out talking about even the two-state solution or something that can be recognized as a left, today that whole camp doesn't really exist, doesn't really have a voice. You can see that also in the political system. The Labour Party, which used to be, at least in the Zionist spectrum, the left completely does not exist anymore and has no political um, power Uh, and they don't have a say around two states even or in general about the Palestinian situation. And so that part of the left is really something we can't even talk about. When we do talk about the left today, we're talking about a much more radical left. Uh, We're talking about a left that is not necessarily on the Zionist spectrum, um, and that is much more grassroots, that is working with Palestinians, protesting specific Israeli policies, if it's the walls in in different villages that are protesting against that, or different kind of aspects of occupation. Um, But that is a very, very small group. I can say that Last week we had a protest um, last Saturday in Jerusalem with a rather mild messaging that is we are standing together against uh, violence and against the occupation and very clearly putting the occupation as the focus of um, what's happening in the last few weeks and kind of reminding people that that is the context, which is not that much of a radical message. Um, And yet we had 1500 people who arrived, which is not bad. But you'd imagine that in such a time of crisis, if there really was a left, you'd be able to bring many more people out to the streets, um, which is what the right wing has managed to do. So today we're talking about very, very small left wing. Um, but I do think is important to say that it still exists and is still active, but in many ways is one that we can't really trust to make the change. Um, and this is something I can say very sadly. I don't believe that we, as a left in Israel, have the way to speak to Israeli society and the traction with them in order to be able to actually create a political change here. And in that on that level, we really do need the help of the international community to help push in that direction.
0: I'll come back to how can the left in Israel affect change. I want to ask, are the left-wing um, demonstrations by Israelis uh, significantly repressed by the government. What kind of government pressure do you come under? Honestly,
1: in the past few weeks, uh, not at all. For instance, the protest that was organised on Saturday had police uh, permits officially. It also had police protection. Um, there is a level in which Israel does like to see itself as a democracy, um, and that focus on allowing the Israeli left, especially Jewish left, and, and there's a big separation here, Jewish left to protest, um, even if it's against governmental policies, is something that Israel does focus on and does allow us. It's not true with Palestinian citizens of Israel, though, um, and we saw that quite a lot in the last few weeks. We had uh, protests in, organized in Nazareth, but before the protests even happened, people who were, um, who put their email down to register transportation for the protests were arrested for four or five nights. Um, for organizing a protest that, legally speaking, it's completely legal to do all of these things and yet they were arrested and accused of inciting to terror because they were organizing protests, protesting um, what is happening now and and the occupation policies. So as a Palestinian, there is a huge amount of repression uh, and we have, I think, about four dozen arrests just in the last few weeks of Israeli-Palestinian citizens of Israel who were arrested for trying to organise protests.
0: And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Accent of Women. I'm speaking with Jewish activist Sahar Vardi about a growing progressive Jewish network calling for an end to Israeli occupation of Palestine. to um, the, the Israeli left relationship and connection to those Israeli Palestinians based in Israel what what does that look like? Well
1: there are a lot of cooperations uh, but unfortunately it's still very hard to find um, places where you can protest where it really is um, something you can, see, you can see both sides. It will either be protests in Palestinian cities with a vast Palestinian majority and some Israeli uh, Jewish activists who are joining them, or it will be, for instance, in Jerusalem or Tel Aviv, predominantly Jewish protests with some Palestinians joining them. Um, And the reasons for that are many. Some of them are just geographical. It's much easier to organize a protest with mass amount of people in your own community. Uh, And when you try to do it in different communities, it's harder. But also, some of them are because messages of let's work together right now are very problematic from a lot of levels. Some of them... um, are because people don't necessarily feel comfortable with people who they don't speak the language of and things of the sort and they kind of have more suspicion around. But some of it also has to do with the fact that many Palestinians today, um, especially in the West Bank and Gaza, not only in in Israel, are saying um, this idea that we can just work together, Israelis and Palestinians, as if our relations are normal, is something that we don't want to contribute to. And we would rather be working just as Palestinian activists with Palestinian society um, and that the Israelis work with their own society rather than trying to create this um, co-resistance frameworks that at times seem like coexistence that doesn't really exist and kind of normalizing this idea. Look, Israelis and Palestinians can work together. It's not really that bad. They're saying, no, we do want to focus on the structural issues. um, And some people, because of that, don't want to have that kind of cooperation.
0: Now, returning to the issue of how we can actually or how Israelis fighting in Israel could potentially win or affect change, one of my what I understand is that the labor movement in Israel is uh, quite racist. Is that understanding the case? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the head of the
1: opposition, who is the head of the labor movement, um, while things were happening now in the last few weeks, he was one of the people who was first to suggest curfews and collective punishment on each Jerusalem uh, because of what was happening. So when you have that as the so-called left, um, yeah, it's very easy to say it is a very racist movement and a lot of the people within it who are less racist, who are more to the left, uh, just shy away from these issues because they know that if they will talk about it, um, they have going to lose their their place, in the, their seat in the party.
0: What, what would it take to move the... Um... Israeli Labor movement to the left, is that even a a possibility? And and just on that, I do note also that there have been four Israeli cities, uh, including Tel Aviv in fact, that uh, voted to ban Arab workers, so I think we're looking at Israeli-Palestinians based in Israel, banning them from their jobs based in schools. So whether they were cleaners or janitors or whatever roles they had in schools, they've now been banned from going to work and this happened in the last couple of weeks as we've seen this increase in violence. And I'm presuming those workers are not members of Israeli trade unions.
1: Um, Well, some of them are and actually legally speaking this is all... Of course, very illegal, and there has been there is beginning of, of work through the legal system um, to work against that. Um, and, and some mem- definitely municipal workers and things like that are part of bigger unions, um, Israeli work unions. The thing is about Israel is that the working unions today are not a strong political power anyway, and within them are very divided. It's a question of will a working union actually care about that? when a lot of the people in it and a lot of the people running it will be people who speak the same rhetoric of, you know, we understand that it's unfortunate for these people to not be able to come to work right now, but our security is the priority and things like that, which is what the municipalities have been saying. So that discourse is so entrenched within Israelis that it's also entrenched within different unions and things of sorts. So that's not, you know, a place you're kind of going to see the solution come out of. And also to take into consideration that unlike other countries, um, Israel is not one in which working unions are such a big political for power anymore, at least it was in the beginning. So that is important to kind of mention that.
0: And you argued that really the only way forward is to link up internationally or to get support from the international community to push Israel to a position of, well, I'm presuming peace and non-occupation, although I can't really see how that would be possible.
1: Yeah, I think it's not just the international community. It's important to say that the Palestinians have a big role in this. What I'm saying is that I don't see it coming from within Israeli society. We shouldn't be expecting Israeli society to change uh, its mindset for some magical reason and decide to end the occupation. These things have to be external. And that means that Palestinians have a big part in it, um, in different forms of resistance. I mean, I would obviously not advocate for violent ones. Um, There are a lot of different forms of resistance. But some of that is also uh, the international community's responsibility, and Palestinians have tried, within finding ways of non-violent resistance, asking the international community to boycott and divest from Israel, to um, apply sanctions on Israel, to apply political um, pressure on Israel, and all these things are things that are happening as part of the global movement. Um, and I do think are extremely important um, that 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 pressure will will increase. And things are changing. It's important to say very slowly, but policies around the world are changing. Um, the other side of it is that in some countries they're also changing to the wrong direction. Um, and you know when when Australian foreign minister um, says that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, while the entire international community refuses to recognize that, for political reasons, and because there's still a belief in a two-state solution, that is very problematic. Um, and so there is also a move of kind of normalizing the existing situation within the international community, which we should definitely be aware of and make sure that we don't allow it to happen. While asking the international community to be much more proactive with how they pressure Israel and not just say, you know, settlements are bad. This is kind of Extreme use of violence. What's happening right now? It was a very nice statement, but they don't make Israel change its policy. While if these countries said we're not selling weapons to Israel any- anymore, or we're not buying weapons from Israel anymore, um, or if they say we're not, if just civilian citizens say we're not buying products that are um, manufactured in settlements anymore, these things will have a huge economic consequence on what's happening here and might force Israel into changing its policy.
0: I noticed you're doing a lot of work to engage the um, diasporic Jewish communities across the world. What has their reception been to the BDS campaign?
1: It very much varies and there are a lot of Jewish communities that are very um, against BDS and in a way see it as an attack against them. On the other hand, there are a lot of Jewish communities that have embraced it and said, look, this is a non-violent way to um, resist occupation and that we can actually be active in from abroad. I think that the whole question around uh, BDS specifically has opened a huge conversation within Jewish communities um, among other things because actually boycotts are something that you know now it sounds like a terrible word but boycotts are a very common uh, method of resistance of non-violent struggle Um, and it has been around the world and in many cases there are a lot of Jewish activists who are very active in calling for boycotts in, in South Africa, um, in, in the US, and you know in different places where Jewish activists have been part of social change movements um, and were using that specific tactic. And now they find themselves in a different kind of angle and how do we treat this this issue? Um, but Jewish communities around the world, to to say, really are shifting, and there's a huge generational gap. And my generation, people in their twenties. Um, are much more critical of Israel and in many ways manage to make a much clearer um, differentiation between Israel and Jewishness and say, no, we can be Jewish and not pro-Israel blindly or not pro-occupation, um, and, and that's a really important discourse and a huge generational gap, um, which is a good thing in a sense. I mean, I don't want to give up on my parents' generation, but People in their 20s today are the people who are going to make policy soon enough. Um, so this is kind of an optimistic angle
2: to it.
0: That was Jewish activist Sahar Vardi about a growing progressive Jewish network calling for an end to Israeli occupation of Palestine. And that's all we have time for on today's program of Accent of Women. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website, 3cr.org.au, and that's the digit three, not spelt out in letters. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. Thanks for tuning into the show. I'm Giselle Hannah and I look forward to your company again next week.